Good morning, Heart Revolution. How are you today? Come on, somebody. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am really glad that you are here today. All right, now help me out. Help me out. Turn to your other neighbor and say it like you mean it this time. Say, I am really glad that you are here today. Come on, somebody. It is such an honor. Uh, I'm Pastor Dave. If you don't know me, uh, I'm not the new person. I've been coming here for over 20 years. You're the new person. I just want to welcome you today. I'm glad that you're here and uh, really, really honored to be in the house. Really proud of Pastors TJ and Carissa, the work that they have done. I've been a part of uh, Cornerstone all the way back from the Chula Vista days and, and the new baton and the new leadership. They're, they're just really, really proud of these guys and what they've done. Can we give it up for our pastors? Amen, amen, amen. You know, your pastor's been talking about a house of grace, and to be a house of grace, you have to have a heart for the house. And uh, you just heard the testimony, the videos, and I wanna encourage you, in a, in a couple months, this church will do an offering, their heart for the house offering. It's part of the culture here. Can I encourage you to start thinking about that now? Our giving should never be impulsive. Our giving should never be under pressure. It should never be under manipulation. It should always be thoughtful, prayerful, worshipful, and intentional. And I would encourage you, on your way out, the ushers will have a heart for the house envelope. Now, I know most of us don't give with envelopes anymore, but here's what I encourage you to do. Grab that envelope, put it on your counter, or put it where you have your bills, and for the next two months, begin to pray and say, God, what would you have me do? And begin to think and plan. Because how many know your best decisions are thoughtful, intentional decisions? And, uh, and let's think about what God might want us to do. And I promise you, if you'll pray and talk to God uh, and ask God what he would have you to do, it's probably gonna be more than you think you can do and it's gonna freak you out. But it's because God's often trying to get us to a new level. And God's trying to show you that he can do more through you and with you than you think you can do by yourself. And that's where faith gets to be fun. So I encourage you to really turn your faith on and get ready for the next chapter of this church. Hey, did you enjoy worship today? I mean, come on, somebody. You, you know, I enjoyed it so much, I'm gonna come back to the next service. Amen. Can we give it up for our worship team? Thanks, you guys. Thanks, you guys. Grab your outlines, grab your outlines. And uh, I mentioned a moment ago, the pastor's in a series called uh, uh, A House of Grace. But for this church or any church to be a house of grace, they actually have to have a heart for the house. And just wave at me if you've ever heard this before. Um, I love God, I just don't love the church. I believe in God. I just don't believe in the church. You, you ever heard people say like that? Uh, are you married to somebody like that? Are, are your kids like that? Do we, you don't have to look very far to people that say I'm spiritual, I believe in God. I just don't believe in his church. And there's a lot of misinformation, false information, confusion about the thing called the church. And today in our culture, 
it's very popular to boast about why I left the church, why I don't go to church, why I don't believe in church, and it's celebrated. You, you can hear it in the halls of education. You can hear it in the communication and the medias, you can in social media. And there's just something about boasting about not being a part of a spiritual family. But what I want you to understand, when I'm talking about church today, I'm talking about the house of God. I'm not talking about a building. The church is not a building. The church is not uh, a religion. The church is not a denomination. The church is two things. It's two things. The church is a place and the church is a people. The place might surprise you because you are the place and we together are the people. The church is made up of living stones, which you are one of them. If you are a believer in Christ, you are the building material of God's house. You are an individual part of what God is building his church. He's not building a building, although we need them to gather in. So the building is not the church. You are the church. In fact, it's not in your outline, but it will be on the screen. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 4, it says it this way. As you come to him as living stones. Everybody say living stones. That means the church is a living organism. Rejected by people, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Oh, come on, somebody. God's church is what? Chosen and precious. Chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up sacri spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Here's what I want you to understand this morning is my few minutes with you. Jesus is passionate about his house. Jesus is passionate about you as an individual and he's passionate about us as his family. In fact, in John chapter two, in your outlines, Jesus one day reminds the disciples, it says, and, and they rem it reminded them that zeal for your house has consumed me. This particular story, this passage right here, this story is actually in all four gospels. And I'll give you the backdrop of this story and kind of set this message today. When something is repeated in all four gospels, it's significant, it's important, and it's something that God wants us to really get. The backdrop of this story is Jesus comes into Jerusalem where the temple was at. When the temple was designed by David and God and Solomon and even all the way back to the tabernacle, it had four or three areas to it. It had the outer court where the sacrifices were made for sin and atonement. And it was a bloody, messy place. And it was often referred to as the place for the Gentiles, the outcasts, those who don't have a relationship with God. This is where the messed up people come. This is where the sinners come. This is where, this is where the people who don't have it together come. Then there was the intercourt. This is for the people who start getting it together. This is, you're washed up, you're, you're getting righteous, you're getting set apart, you're becoming sanctified. And then there was the holiest of holies where only the high priest could go in one time a year, and this is supposed to be where God is at. How I many know God is like in the Holy of Holies? So that's the picture. In Jesus' day, and, and the historian Josephus tells us this, that 
In the outer court, they actually made a fourth court. In this fourth court was they set up a place of marketing where they would, they would sell the animals that would need to be sacrificed. And, you're, and when the feast would come, they, this could literally be tens of thousands of animals. So this is big business because the temple was the center of culture. It was the center of society. And so when they would have to come from other areas, instead of bringing my goat from down the road, I'm traveling and I'm not going to bring my goat hundreds or tens of miles. I'm going to come and buy one and then do my sacrifice so that I can move and seek God. So, and then the coins the money would have different inscriptions on them. And if the money had some different deity, it was considered unclean money. And so they would have to exchange the money to get the right kind of money that would be represented of the temple. So this is what's going on. All four gospels, Jesus comes into town and he sees this. And it emotionally messes with him. It stirs him up. In fact, <laughs> Jesus goes away and makes a whip. How I many know? You, you think Jesus is like loving and nice. And, you know, there are certain days I don't think I want to be around Jesus. And this would have maybe been one of them. Because the Bible says he was eaten up, consumed with passion this day, which means he's, he's angry. He walks in and he begins to throw these tables over. He begins to crack that whip. He begins to say, Get these things out of here. And here's what he's saying This is a house of prayer. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. Here's what he's saying. You have changed the purpose of my house. You have changed the purpose of my house. My house is meant to be a place of prayer. And then, oh, you got to catch this. This is Jesus. He's not over in the Holy of Holies. He's not over in the inner court with those who have it together. He's in the outer court. And remember, in each of these courts, here's what's going on. There's a barrier, a barrier, a barrier to God. How many know that when Jesus came to the earth, he came to remove barriers? And in the outer court, which was supposed to be the place of beginning, where messed up people start, where broken people start, where people who need hope and people who need healing, they put up a new barrier. They put up another barrier. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If we're going to be a house of grace, we've got to change the purpose of my house back into what it was created for. And it's got to open the door. And in Matthew 21's version of this story, Jesus begins to teach in the outer court, not in the Holy of Holies. Oh, come on. This should give anybody that's messed up, jacked up, screwed up, hope. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. You come and tell me what your issue is, and I'll show you somebody in the Bible with your issue that God used. If we, if, if Heart Revolution or any other church is going to be a house of grace, it has to have the heart of God. And to have the heart of God, we need to understand the purposes of God. And to understand the purposes of God, we have to learn that people have barriers getting to God. And we need to learn how to remove those barriers to help them get to God. And it starts with getting into the outer court and creating a culture of grace because we have the heart of God. Oh, come on, somebody. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to finish the message today for those of you that absolutely need your outline to be filled out. Whatever I don't fill out on your outline, just make it up and we'll call it good. Just put anything in there you want. I'll get to a couple, a little bit. You get a few of them. Everything else, just make it up. 
So Jesus is in this outer court, not in the inner court, not in the middle court, but in the outer court, and he begins to teach messed up people. And this is Matthew 21, and now I'm quoting. It says, and the blind and the lame came to him, and he healed them. And when the chief priest and the scribes saw, and I'm quoting, the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, they, the priest, were indignant. Now they're consumed. Now they're eat up, but not with passion for God. They're eat up because Jesus is removing a barrier and they're wanting to put the barrier back in place. This is really good preaching right now. And so if you remember, when the disciples saw this, it says that they remembered that it was written that zeal for your house is consuming. It comes from a passage in Psalm 69 and it's in your outline. Zeal, zeal, which means passionate, enthusiastic excitement for your house has consumed me. I've seen people get it consumed, which they're just lost in a video game. They're lost in a football game. They're lost in their careers. They get lost in all kinds of issues. But zeal for your house has so consumed me. I am not partially engaged. I'm not somewhat engaged. I am fully engaged in the well-being of your house. And then it says something very interesting. That the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what the scripture is saying. We all know those people that are critical of the church, cynical of the church, judgmental of the church, fault-finding with the church, and somehow they feel like if I, if I try to deconstruct the church, tear the church down, demoralize the church, somehow I'll win the approval of people. And you might, but you do not win the approval of God. Because here's what God is saying. When you criticize my church, you're criticizing my family. That would be like me walking into your house and saying, your wife is ugly and your kids are stupid. And you might be thinking, you know what, you're right, you are right. My wife is ugly and my kids are stupid, but they're my wife and my kids and you can't talk about them that way because I'm literally, I'm going to die for them. I'm going to give my life for them. They are my wife, they are my kids, this is my church and I'm passionate for it. And yes, it might have issues, but it's mine and you're not garnishing any points with me when you say you love God, but don't love my church and you believe in God, but you don't believe in my church. You don't know who I am and you don't know what I'm about. My church is a spiritual family and I want people in my family so that I can grow them and nurture them to remove the barriers that are far from God to get them into the deepest relationship with God. And when you and I have a passion for God's house, when we have a passion for God's house, we're going to want to remove the barriers. That word reproach, the reproaches of those who reproach you fall on me. So yeah, church has issues. It's my fault. Church is messed up, it's my fault. Church isn't doing it, it's my fault. Yeah, blame me. Because if the reproaches fall on me, then maybe I can do something about it. Oh, you're not catching this. If the reproaches fall on me, then how can I help you get past your reproach so you can get on your journey to the inner court? You stand stuck by finding something to blame, some reproach to blame, some fault to find, some criticism to find, 
some issue to have, then it means you're going to stay far from God because you couldn't get unstuck. So may the reproaches that fall on your church, God, fall on me because I have a heart for your house. And may I learn how to remove barriers to help people move forward. The word reproach, it means to taunt, mock, insult, and ridicule. And it carries the idea of something that's immature that a juvenile would do. How many know in middle school we have a problem with bullying? Insulting, ridiculing, mocking is actually a sign of immaturity. So if you're in your 40s and you have a tendency to mock, ridicule, and fault find, it's a sign of immaturity. And it's time to grow up and quit creating the problem and be part of the solution. Oh, come on, somebody. I'll, I'll say it like this. You cannot criticize your way into a better life. You cannot criticize your way into a better marriage. You can't criticize your way into a better job. You can't criticize your way into a better relationship with God. Come, all right. So, so I got three thoughts, and we might get through two. All right, here's number one. Here's number one. Here's number one. When I have a heart for God's house, the reproaches, the reproaches of the house fall on me. When I have a heart for the house, the reproaches, I understand the church has issues. When I'm talking about the church and honoring the church and loving the church, I'm not saying the church is perfect. No, it's not. Have you noticed the people we let come to church? They actually let me on this stage. That should let you know right now the church is not perfect. Right here, it's like, no, 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 no. Jesus is coming back. The Bible says in Ephesians, he's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. So everybody that thinks the rapper's happening next week, it's like, no. It's like, because if, when I look around to the church, there's a lot of spots and wrinkles in the church. At least when I look around, it's like, it's like if Jesus is coming back for the church, it's like none of us are making it. Maybe the church that Jesus is coming back, maybe he sees it differently than we see it. Maybe he sees something that's glorious in his eyes, living stones in his eyes, amazing in his eyes. Maybe he sees your hunger, not your issues. Maybe he sees your humility and your brokenness and your struggle, and that's why to have a house of grace, we have to have the heart for God. And if we want to have a house of grace that opens up doors in the outer court where it's all messy and ugly, and so, so the church, I like to say it like this, the church is a glorious mess. It's glorious because God is in it. It's a mess because he lets us come into it. And he's coming back for a glorious mess. And we're a part of that. But, but look at this next verse. And, and, and when the reproaches fall on me, I try to help remove barriers. So in Psalms, in Psalms 84, in Psalms 84, it says that I would rather, one it says, yeah, let me get my notes here. For a day in your courts, Psalms 84 verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper, a doorkeeper in the house of my gods than to dwell in the tits of wickedness. I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house than all the other things that I can enjoy in life. What does a doorkeeper do? Thank you, thank you. It's not, it's not a trick question. Doorkeepers open doors, or they can close doors, but they open doors. They open doors. And when the reproaches of God fall on me, 
I want to be a doorkeeper in God's house that I'm opening doors for people, not closing doors. See, that's what they were doing in the temple. They were closing the door, and they were making it harder for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, with people with issues, people with struggles, to get in the door. And Jesus shows up and says, get this stuff out of here. Get my house turned back into a place that the doors are open so people can find their way to me. And see, a lot of people, a lot of people think, Worship starts when the music starts. Can I tell you it doesn't? Not, not in a house of grace. You know where worship starts? Worship starts in the parking lot. When somebody says to somebody, let me help you out. I'm glad you're here. It starts with the greeter who opens the door. Why, why would that be worship? Because how you receive that person can cause them to experience the presence and love of God at that moment. They don't have to wait till the singing starts to begin to experience the presence of God in God's house because they met somebody who would just, I just want to be a doorkeeper in God's house. And here's the thing, the person who walks through that door, they may be walking in as someone with all kind of issues. And as they come in and they experience a house of worship and a house of prayer and they hear the ministry of the word and they turn their life over to God, they walk in one way, but they leave another way. And the door that you open for them to walk in to experience God is the door you're now opening for them to walk back out into the world a changed person the presence of God doesn't start with the singing on the stage the presence of God starts with how you greet him. and we got some wonder when I walked in today I was met by some wonderful greeters that were smiling at me and welcoming me and, and greeting me every person should get that you know there are 59 one another verses in the New Testament 59 there's there are verses like love one another encourage one another greet one another honor one another if you want to be a spiritual person go download all 50 of those one another verses and just start practicing little stuff like how to say hi to somebody and you learn how to remove barriers come on somebody remove barriers here's 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 number two no, 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 back up here, here's some of the barriers that people have I'm missing this point because people have barriers some people have a I love darkness barrier the Bible says that there are people who won't come to the light because their deeds are evil. And these are the people you can invite to church all day long and you're just gonna waste your time. They're gonna argue with it, they're gonna be, they don't see the value of it because they enjoy their negative lifestyles. They enjoy their pleasures. But how many know pleasures only last for a season? And this is a group of people the Bible tells us we're to pray for, but also we're to do good works and let our light shine for them. This is how we win those who have a darkened attitude towards God and his church, we just shine. And that's to become known in our community for the good that we do, to become known in the community for all the good that we do. And here's the interesting thing. People who love darkness, eventually the darkness gets cold and the darkness closes in on them and all of a sudden the light becomes attractive when we learn to be that light. Here's, here's, here's the second barrier people have. People have an image barrier. In other words, if, if, if you talk, if, if I throw some words out there, if I say Catholic priest, most people think molest boys. If I think televangelist, most people think prosperity gospel on TV, taking advantage of people. If I say reformed churches, I say churches that don't believe in the value of women and no voice for women. In other words, certain words about church create certain images in people's minds, and those images in people's minds become barriers to them coming into God's house. Come on, somebody. And, and, and the problem is, the problem is, everybody is talking about the church except God's family. 
the educators who have no, no knowledge of the, the, the people who have been hurt on social media. We've got a lot of voices out there, but none of them are the voice of the difference God has made in my life voice. And so often people don't know all the good that comes on in this church. Somebody told somebody one time at our church, and, and by the way, I'm dressed up for you today. Um, and so they said, I don't think I can come to church because I don't have a suit and the person said, I don't know if my pastor has a suit either. <laughs> but see, they had an image that they had to be something to come into the house. And they don't know what goes on here unless you tell them. And you don't, don't assume they know. They don't, they don't know. They have the wrong image of what the church is in their mind. And you need to tell them because too many wrong voices are telling them what the church is. And they're missing it by mom. Here's another. It's culture. There's cultural barriers. You know, culture means different races, different languages. Would you want to go to a place wherever? Well, the next service uh, I, is the Spanish service. And by the way, I don't speak Spanish. How many know that's a barrier? But guess what? They're providing me with an interpreter. They're giving me a bridge. They're giving me a bridge. And people have cultural barriers. They don't know the norms. I don't know the language. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. It's a culture. And we have to help people know that culture. Years ago in our church, we're, we're a very, very diverse congregation. We got a lot of different nationalities in our church. But it wasn't always that way. When I was early pioneering and pastoring the church, we were just a dominant white church because the pastor's a white guy. So we're a white church. And I'm praying that God, I want us to be diverse. I'm believing for diversity. And I'm looking out one Sunday morning, and there is this, there's this black guy. He's the only one there, sitting out there. And after the service, you know, he kind of got out there. And I literally chased him down into the parking lot. I'm telling other people, get out of my way. Get out of my way. And I, 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 I guess this guy, his name's Derek. And I, got to, I said, how was the service? He goes, service was good. And I, I liked it. And, and I, finally, I said, Derek, I'm just get to the point. This is why I chase you down. I said, you probably looked around and you noticed that you were the only black person here. He goes, yeah, I noticed. You know, sometimes, so you don't know unless you're the only one. And when you're the only one, you, it, you know it really loud. Does that make sense? And this is not just about the color of your skin. This can be about, uh, I'm the only one that struggles with this. I'm the only one that deals with that. And you think you're the only one. And when you think you're the only one and you feel it, and so I said, Derek, you, you probably looked around and, and you noticed, but I said, we don't want to be all white. I have a heart for our community. I have a heart for others. And, and, and if it was okay, I'd like for you to help me out so that the next time somebody of color came, they wouldn't be the only one. Help me pastor this church. Help me pioneer this church. And, and he goes, I can do that, pastor. He's a military guy. We're in a big military community. The next week, he brought his family. He's got six kids his wife. So we went from one to about eight overnight. Like, thank you, Jesus. And, and to this day, this is 25 years I'm telling Derek and Rhonda Flood's story because they helped me build a barrier. They helped me cross a culture that helped change who we were as a church. But he had to have a heart for the house. He could not be comfortable just in his own style of church. He had to find a church where he could be a bridge builder to somebody not like him in a place that he was a foreigner so that others could follow his example. I'll come, I'm not sure I'm helping anybody today. People have a past hurt barrier. 
You know people, I got hurt in church. I got, and for people who've been hurt in church, empathize with them. I'm really sorry that happened for you. But can I encourage you to forgive? Because when are you going to move on? When are you going to let the wrong that happened to you define you versus the grace that God wants to give you define you? And can I encourage you to forgive and come home? It's time for you to come home. Don't spend the rest of your life letting the story of your life, how church hurt you and missed all the good things that God is trying to do all around you. I can either be defined by my hurts or I can be defined by my, God's grace. I can take you through my life and I can tell you story after story after story of horrible, ugly, terrible things that have happened in my life and you might start crying, you might feel sorry for me, you might be incredibly grieved or I can tell you every time God's grace showed up on the addition to those stories. I refuse, I refuse to let the hurts become the narrative of my life. I will always let the grace of God be the narrative of my life. So in my mind, I don't jump from hurt to hurt to hurt to hurt. I jump from grace to grace to grace to grace. And help people get past hurt barriers. Here's the second thing, and my time's almost gone, but I will mention this one. When I have a heart for the house, I, I share the responsibilities of the house they fall on me. The responsibilities of the house fall on me. In church today, we're to say, okay, we're a church. You see a crowd, but there's multiple people in our crowd today. There are people that are, that are new. This is like maybe you've been here, today's your first day or relatively new. We would call you our guest, and we hope that you enjoy today. We hope that you're blessed today. We want to take care of you today. We hope that you enjoyed the worship and you were warmly greeted and something was added to your life. But then there's our family. And when we say it this way, every member of God's family has a ministry. Ministry simply means to serve. So every member of the family, I'm talking to family, if this is your church, this is your church, you have a ministry, which means you have chores. Does, does your family have chores? Come on. Like, no, not in our family. That's why your mom died early, because nobody helped her. You, she did everything all by herself. That's what happens in a lot of churches. Nobody does anything but the pastor. That's why the pastors die early, because nobody helps. Nobody does the chores of the house. I don't know, but when I was growing up, if we had guests coming over, my mom got on my case and says, get the room cleaned up, get the floors vacuumed, get off the TV, start cleaning stuff up. And, and, and I had to start doing chores for the guests that were coming that they weren't even my guests. They were somebody else's guests that I had to get ready for. They weren't bringing the somebody for me to play with, but I had chores in my family to get ready for our guests. When I come home, when I come home from church as the man of God who's preached the word of God, as the leader of Capital Christian Center, my wife looks at me and says, the garbage needs to be taken out. I said, but I don't feel called to take out the garbage. Said, I don't care if you feel called to take out the garbage or not. If you're going to be in this house, you got some chores, man of God. And let me say this. If you go to a church and that church ever blesses you, 
The blessing of God is always attached to a servant. If worship bless you today, it's attached to a servant. If, if the children's ministry bless you, it's attached to a servant. If the word of God bless you, it's attached to the servant. Somebody had to prepare the bathrooms. Somebody had to get the rooms ready. Somebody's got to clean up after we leave. Somebody's got to take care of the guests. You don't invite guests to your house and expect them to do the chores. Now, if somebody's at your house all the time, they're no longer a guest. You know what I'm talking about? You're a house pet now, and you put them to work. <laughs> and I'm saying that, I'm saying that if we're going to be door opening to help people move in, we've got to be willing to serve the responsibilities of the house. And we live in a culture today, we've, become, we've made the gospel Americanized, so we go church shopping. And I always tell people, if you're here church shopping, we're not that good. We're not. We're not that good. I said, but if you're here, if you're a Christian and you're church shopping, number one, you're messed up. You, you don't understand the gospel. If you're here to be planted and be equipped to do the work of the ministry, then you're in the right place. Because I will put you to work. That's my job, to equip you to do the work of the ministry as a spiritual father to help you grow up and serve the Lord. I know, it's like somebody's like, what? Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to play that game. People say, well, I didn't get fed here. I've been pastoring my church for 35 years, and nobody ever feeds me. I've learned to feed myself. I, I have a Bible, and I know how to read it and study it. And if you learn to read it and study it, you won't need a pastor to feed you. You will need a pastor to direct you in the vision of what we're trying to accomplish and put you to work. Oh, yeah. I'm going to leave in a couple hours, so anyway. I know that, like, like I'm two minutes over. And uh, I am going to mention this last part of this. It's not the next point, but, but when I share the responsibility of the house, I also share in generosity. Scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is one of those rubber hits the road statements. You can say, I love God's house, but if it doesn't show up in your checkbook and your bank account and your financial statements, then it's an aspiration. It's not really a goal. It's not really a core value. When it becomes a part of your budget, it becomes something true. And in Malachi, it talks about tithing. You know the verse, test me, prove me. I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll rebuke the devourer for you. I wish I had time to teach that to you. God makes this incredible promise. If you'll learn to trust me financially, you'll know me like you've never known me before. Because the Bible teaches that money can take on a personality and become a deity because it can offer you so many things. And that's why the Bible says that no one can serve two masters. He will love one and despise the other, hate the one and be loyal to the other. You cannot serve God in money because money becomes a relationship in many people's lives. They have an intimate relationship with it. And the reality is they trust it more than they trust God. And God's saying, test me. And the only place in Scripture he says, test me. He says, I can do more for you. Money, money can do things for you, but it can't give you purpose. Money can't give you meaning. Money can give you some security, but nowhere near the security that I can give you. And here's where a lot of people, that if you've been in church, you get this pushback. Pastor, you're talking about tithing, and tithing is an Old Testament law that was done away when Jesus died on the cross. Have you ever heard that? It's like tithing is an Old Testament law, and it was done away when Jesus died on the cross. Well, let me just say this. When Jesus died on the cross, he did, the Bible actually, it's in your note, it says, he did not, I said, I did not come to, to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. Oh, hang in there with me, and then I will close on this thought. Grace 
and this is a house of grace, doesn't mean there's a lower standard. Grace actually means there is a higher standard. Until you understand grace at a higher standard, you'll never really be able to appreciate your forgiveness. So in Matthew, when Jesus teaches the most beautiful sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. You can go read the whole chapter. And he says, I did not come to do away with the law, but to return it to its original intent and fulfill it. And then he goes through a series of teachings from the law into the new covenant. He says, you have heard, Old Testament, thou shalt not murder. Okay, I'm good. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, but I'm not guilty of murder. I, I, I'm good. But then he says, but I say, new covenant, grace standard, grace standard, that if you're angry in your heart, you're in danger of judgment. Ooh, that's not a lower standard. That's a higher standard. And I was better under the old covenant than I am in the new covenant. Under the old covenant, I'm not guilty. In the new covenant, I'm guilty. Oh, come on, somebody. Pastor's going someplace here. And you're going to wish I walked off the stage two minutes ago when I'm done here. In the old covenant, in the old covenant, in the old covenant, thou shalt not commit adultery. Not guilty. But I say to you, new covenant, new intent, if you look at someone and lust with them, Man, Jesus, you're brutal. Old covenant, old covenant. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Come on, Jesus, I feel you. But I say to you, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. What's wrong with you? You have heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Got it. I'm really good at that one. But I say to you, love your enemy. Some of us, we can't even love the people we go to church with. Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. And by the way, by the way, if you don't bless those who curse you, then you live with the curse they put on you. When I bless those who curse me, I break their curse off of my life. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And do good to those who hate you. New standard. I'm failing. The new covenant standard, I'm failing. The old covenant, an animal was sacrificed one time every year. For that year, sin kept rolling over. New covenant standard. New covenant standard was the blood of Christ. So when you say that tithing passed away, if you're using that for an excuse not to be generous, I'm saying you don't know your Bible. But if you're saying tithing passed away and you're referring to living by a higher standard than more than 10%, then I say, I'm with you. I'm with you. Because the New Testament of grace is not a lower standard. The New Testament of grace is to reveal the very intent of God, which now makes what Jesus did for us all that much more. God, I'm so guilty. I'm so messed up. God, I'm never getting out of this outer court into sanctification and into intimacy with you unless you come and meet me in the outer court. I'm never going to get that good to get over there. And that's why God had to come from the Holy of Holies, come out of heaven to come down to walk with me through all these barriers in my life. And here, I'm, I'm done. I want you to stand up. I'm, I told you I'd stop, I'd stop at some point. I'd never finish the sermon. I'd just stop. We're talking about a house of grace has to have a heart for the house. 
we can say we're a house of grace, but unless we actually have a heart for the house, a passion for the house, with saying, God, help me to re- help me to be a door opener, God, because there are people who have barriers. God, help me to serve the responsibilities of my house. There are chores to be done. Last week at our church, we had to turn someone away because we didn't have enough people to work in our, our early childhood. Church is just growing. All kind of people are coming. How could we turn someone away? Because we didn't have a servant. Servants open the doors. Can I encourage you? Find a place to serve in this house. Find a place to serve. Find a place to serve. You only bear fruit when you get planted. You never bear fruit as a church shopper. You never bear fruit bouncing around from church to church to church. You only bear fruit when you get your roots in the ground and you produce fruit. Can I encourage you to say, God, let me trust you enough to put you in my budget. I'm going to pray for you. Can you just close your eyes? Father, I thank you for this beautiful family, those in the room and those watching online. I thank you for this beautiful, beautiful family of yours. This is truly a house of grace because they truly do have a heart for your house. And I know that my message today was only a reminder, not a correction. It was just a reminder of who we are to be and what you want us to do. And and my prayer right now, Father, is that you're stirring our hearts. You're stirring our hearts. And may we be consumed with your house. May we be fully engaged. May we be door keepers, door openers that remove barriers. May we be used by you, God, to help people find their way into your presence, into your healing. May we be partners with you. May we work with you in this beautiful thing called your church. May we be a part of what you're doing in the earth today, bringing hope and healing into people's lives. And if there's someone here that doesn't know you, if you don't know Christ, can I encourage you just to invite him into your life right now. That's all you have to do. He came all the way to the front door to meet you. He came all the way to where you are today to meet you. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Others of you, you're followers of Jesus, but he's wanting you to take that next step of opening your life to him. He's wanting to open your eyes to see some things. He's wanting to open your ears to hear some things. He's wanting to open up your hands to bless some things. And so, God, I thank you. I thank you for this incredible family. I thank you for this incredible congregation. I thank you for the pastors and the team and the staff of this house, the volunteers of this house. And I thank you, God, that the people who are waiting on the other side of our obedience are going to be impacted by you in the beautiful, beautiful name of Jesus. Church, it's been my honor to share the word of God with you today.